Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to follow along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the DAF at www.batshevalearningcenter.com slash DAF. Hi, everyone. Welcome to DAF Yadalid of Masecha Saito. We are finishing our first parak, um, which is very exciting. Um, and then we're going to get into some more complex halachic stuff to do with karmanis. So that's going to be fun. Um, all right, let's get started. Okay, so we're going to start at the bottom of Yud Gimel Amud Beis, um, and it's going to be two lines from the bottom, second line from the bottom, third word on the line. We're just we're continuing our discussion of Maisha's burial. So we're told, but you cover, I say, the guy, the Eretz Maya, Mul Beis Pa'or, right? He was buried. Or rather, he buried him, my Sherbinu, in Gai, in the land of Maya, opposite base Pa'or, right? Which is this, you know, idolatrous um, icon, like landmark. Amar Barachia. So Barachia said, Simon Batoch Simon. The Sukkim just gives you like sign after sign and landmark after landmark to tell you where Maisha's buried. But feel happy, and even so, below Yadza Isha's Kibarathai. Right, even with all of this information, we still, the Pesach tells us that nobody really knows exactly where Maisha is buried. Ukvar Shelcha Malchus Harsha Ethel Gastera Shel Besvar. So we're told the uh, evil nation, right? The evil um, ruler, right? Which is, um, you know, a reference to the Romans. They sent messengers to the ruler of Beis Pa'or, and they said, please show us, please tell us where Maisha is buried. Show us where Moshe is buried. So they said they tried looking, and they said on top of the mountain, and then it, so they appeared to them as though the grave were below. And then they stood below, and it appeared to them like the grave was up above, right? And so they basically, through this uh, sort of optical illusion, right, they, you know, they were getting confused. And finally, and then they split into two camps. And and then, uh, miraculously, the ones who stood on top, so for the ones who stood on top of the mountain, it appeared that the grave was on the bottom. And for those who stood at the bottom, it appeared the grave was at the top. So this fulfilled this pasuk that nobody really knows where Maisha is buried. said, Even Maisha himself doesn't know where he is buried. It's written here that a mat, no one knows where he's buried. This is the bracha that Maisha, the man of God, you know, blessed the Jewish people with. So both Sukkim use the word ish. And because of that similarity, 
the word we say that even the word ish in Vilayad ish iskurata is referring to Maisha. But so Amar, so yeah. I'm going to cut in here a little bit. So just a little bit about this, the mystery of Maisha's burial. Like, why is it such a mystery? Um, so there's this famous, there's a Marmar Chazal that's quoted in Haggai Sabah, Hadein Yaakov, that basically says it's this famous idea that Hashem, Hashem says, you know, if the Jewish people knew where Maisha was buried, you know, once they were exiled um, after the destruction of, of the base of Mikdash, um, if they would go to the cave of Maisha and they would daven, then, you know, I wouldn't be able to say no. I wouldn't, uh, you know, and, and they would daven to be, to be, you know, um, to not, you know, to not have to be exiled then, and, and Maisha would, would uh, you know, intercede on their behalf, I wouldn't be able to say no to Maisha. Um, and um, so that's why Hashem said, like, I'm just going to make his burial place unknown to anybody. Um, so some of the commentaries, you know, discuss this and say, like, it sounds almost like cruel, like where Hashem is saying, like, I'm not, I'm not letting you have a way out, you know? Um, right. So he says, actually, that that's, that's um, Hashem was doing that more for their benefit, right? Because, you know, obviously they could just, like, get the easy way out where, you know, Maisha could just dive in front of them and then they can just, you know, not have to be exiled. But ultimately the whole, the, the purpose of, of Gaulus is for the Jewish people themselves to be, go through this process of refinement and to like develop, you know, positive characteristics. And that's also why we didn't get up to it yet. Sorry, I should have said this afterwards, but the continuation of the Gemara um, on this page is going to talk about emulating Hashem's ways, right? Like, like um, you know, developing all these like good character character traits similar to Hashem. And that's sort of like an, uh, an explanation for why Hashem is hiding Maisha's burial place, right? It's not just to be cruel, but it's telling them like, you need to actually do the work yourself, right? You can't just rely wow. on Maisha to, Maisha to get you out of here, you know? Um, wow. Yeah, so that's sort of cool. like how the whole the Gemara ties together. Um, and then also, it says here that Maisha himself didn't know his own burial place, which is sort of like a sort of strange thing to say. Um, so so the Meshachachim actually writes that, um, you know, there's this there's this idea, in, like the Yerushalmi writes that the Neshama hovers over the body for a few days after the person passes away. Um, or there's another Gemara um, in Mesech HaShabbos that says that for the 12 months after the person passes away, the Neshama is kind of like going up and down like coming into the body and going back up. Um, and the idea is basically that, that like it takes, there's a process that it takes for a person to sort of totally detach from their body, right? They're still, you know, if in, during their lifetime, they've been in, involved in a lot of physical mundane things connected to their body, then the soul, like, you know, there's still strings attached and it takes time before the soul is able to totally sort of release itself from the, you know, its relationship with the physical body so that it can, it's free to really, you know, experience spirituality fully. Um, but Maisha was not that way, right? For Maisha, like he was so, you know, detached from physicality, even while he was in this world, that the, as soon as he passed away, there was like no strings attached. He can like immediately ascend, you know, um, without any connection to his body. So that's the idea of saying he didn't know his burial place, meaning like, not not knowledge in the sense of like he wasn't aware where it was, but that he didn't have this relationship with the place where he was buried, meaning his physical body that had been that had been buried. Um, so wow. yeah, just a little insight into that. <laughs> he himself said that now. Wow. Okay. So with that, uh, we're gonna go to the next statement of Rav Chama Berachanina, which is Amar Right. So why indeed was Maisha buried? across from base pa'ar. This was in order to atone for the story that happened at base pa'ar, right? So there's a story right after Bilam uh, tries to curse the Jewish people and it's just an epic fail, 
right? It ends up, you know, accomplishing the opposite of what he intended. He and Balak, you know, try to think of some other plan. And the plan they come up with is by getting the daughters, the people of Moab to, you know, seduce Jewish men and in doing so both for adultery and also get them to worship the idols of Kaur. And this caused a terrible epidemic amongst the Jewish camp. Um, so that... Uh, I'm going to cut in here again. Um, there's, I, this, I, when I was reading this Gemara, it reminded me, and I didn't see this anywhere. This is just my own connection that I'm making. Um, from reading this is that it's, you know, this idea that Maish is buried close to base bar to atone for that sin. Um, and to me, it sort of reminded me of, of the, you know, the famous Maimur Hecholtu, um, which talks about, um, you know, before Maisha passes away, it says Hashem tells him to fight the war with Midian, right? And he says, you know, and it's it's interesting because it seems like, it seems like there's, 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 there's this, like, relationship between Maisha and the war with Midian. That, like, Maisha's, like, part of Maisha's life mission and something that only Maisha can do is to fight this war with Midian. And in the Mimer, it discusses how Midian, the, the symbolism of Midian, um, which again is connected to this whole story of Base Bar, right? Because Midian and Maya have sort of worked together. Um, uh, you know, Bilam was from Midian, and he was the one who who suggested this idea of sending the daughters to get the Jewish people to sin. Um, and in that Mimer, discusses how Midian represents um, this divisiveness um, that exists amongst amongst all of us, and Maisha represents unity. Um, and the reason why Maisha, I mean, there's a lot of discussion there. It's very long discussion about divisiveness and unity, and you know explores that in depth, in depth, but the basic idea here is that because Maisha represents this ultimate um, bittal and ultimate unity, um, he's the one who has to fight this war with Midian and sort of like be the, the, um, the remedy to this divisiveness, right, which is what Midian represents. Um, so I think it just kind of fits really beautifully with what we're saying here, which is that's exactly why he's buried close to base bar, because he's atoning for that sin. He's atoning for what the klipa of Midian um, represents. Wow. I'm so happy you didn't let me skip that. <laughs> yeah, that's why I noticed it. I was like, wait, I had something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. I think it, yeah, very, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um so yeah, so now we're going to get to what I was started saying before. Another statement for Rabbi Chama Bar Chanina. So he says, Like, what's the meaning of the passage which says you should go after Hashem, your God? Um, is it possible for someone to follow the Shlina? But like Far Nemar, we're told that Hashem is like this burning fire. Allah. So meaning like, meaning to say, like, how is it possible for a person to really follow in the footsteps of Hashem? Isn't, that, isn't Hashem too mighty, too lofty, too far beyond us? You should emulate Hashem's midas, emulate his character traits. Mahu malbisharum, and just as God um, clothes Clothes the naked. Hashem made for Adam and his wife um, um, clothes of skin and he um, and to wear. So too, we should be providing clothes for the needy. Hashem visited the sick. Hashem appeared to Avram and Elena Mamre after his bris mila. So to you, or us rather, <laughs> we should we should visit the sick. Hashem um, comforts mourners. After says so that after Avram died, passed away, Hashem blessed Yitzchak. 
So to you, as the Jewish people, we should um, occupy ourselves with comforting mourners. Hashem buried the dead. says he buried him in the valley. So to you, should bury the dead. Uh, so now we're going to go into all of these <laughs> all of these examples that we spoke about. So Ksonis, Ksonis are this idea that Hashem closed Adam and with clothes of skin. Rabbi Shmuel, so there are two opinions of what the Ksonis are means. Um, Rabbi Shmuel disagree about it. Chadam, or one of them says, or it means actual like leather, something which comes from animal skin. It's, it's clothes that is very comfortable on the skin. I'm not necessarily literally leather but just like a you know a very smooth um you know rushes pitched on would be flax or cotton very smooth very comfortable fabric there's probably some lie so are we some lie um me paying minus abak my sherbinu we kind of say it's israel why did my sherbinu at the end of his life want to enter it's israel he left a period because he wanted to eat its fruits i was by me too well or to be satiated from its good Produce. That sorry. Did he need to, you know, eat its produce? Elakacha, my Rishon. This is what my Rishon said. Harvey mitzvahs to stop you through all the ain mitzvahim and all the eretz Israel. There's so many mitzvahs which the Jewish people were commanded, which could only be fulfilled in eretz Israel. Ekanis ani laaretz kadeshi skymu kul and al yadi. I want to enter eretz Israel so that I can fulfill all of them. I'm really like Kaddish Baruch and said to him, Kluma to Mavakesh Elokavaskar? Are he just trying to receive the reward of doing those extra mitzvahs? I will consider it as if you have done them. Shanamar Lachina Chalak Leiberabim. I must assume Chalak Shalal. Talk to Sher Har Lamuth Nafshai Vespashim Nimna. Vespashim Nimna. Okay, so this is a long puzzle from Yeshaya. We're going to, you know, break it down. Uh, in the following passage of Gemara, and uh, show how each of these, each of the phrases in this passage like, apply to my Sherebet. Okay, start from the beginning. Um, okay, so, so therefore I will, you know, um, give a portion to him amongst the many. Yaakov, um, so meaning, meaning, therefore, my Sherebet is going to be, you know, rewarded. Yaakov, it could be, that um, he'll be given reward like the later ones, like the, you know, not so important people, but like Rishan, but not the the earlier, um, you know, not the ancestors, the great ancestors. Tamad Lamar, Beth Atsum and Michalik Shal, the Pasuk continues, he will split the spoils with the strong and mighty. Avram Yeslak Viakat, Mesh is going to be given reward just like Avram Yeslak and Viakat, Shem Atsum, Batara, Mitzvah, that were mighty in Torah, Mitzvah. Tachas, Asher, Haralamus. Um, Nafshai, right? Um, because he he um, bared his soul, and he you know, um, and and like sort of made himself vulnerable to death. Shemester um, said that he you know had mysterious nefesh and gave himself over to die. Right when he davened for the Jewish people to be forgiven after the chitah, he said if. You don't forgive them, erase me from your book. So he really, Maisha was able, was willing to sacrifice himself for the Jewish people. Ves Paishem Nimna says, and he was numbered with those who sinned. 
because Moshe was counted amongst those who died in the Midbar. Um, and he bore the sin of the many of the of the crowd. That because he um, atoned for the Jewish people um, for the for the sin of Egel. And he um he dobbins on behalf of the sinner. He dobbins that those the sinners amongst the Jewish people should do Teshuvah. The Ein Pegia El Tzvila, the the root Pegia, right from the word Yafia, always means Tefila. Shenamar Vaata Al Tefal Vaadam Azav Al Tisa Vaadam Rina Vatefila Al Tefkepi. Right? There's another pasuk from Yerbiyahu which says, you know, don't dobbin for this people. Don't um, lift up or cry or or dive in for them, and don't baal tifka be right, and don't beseech me, don't dive into me, right. So it's another example of the word tifka being used for tefila, and yeah, hadron alach hamakana liyshe. We just finished our first parak. Awesome. Just a, just a little idea about that. In pigia alatfila. So there's one idea from the shalah. You know, we see we see this many times come up in, in Chazal, right? That we take a word and we interpret it. We say like ain this ella this, right? Like we interpret it like very much non-literally, right? Like pigia. Like why every time we see the word pigia means tefillah? Like why would we assume that, right? <laughs> Doesn't seem to be the the the, um, the simple meaning. Um, and we have like we have tons of examples like this. And you know, one example he gives is, is from later on in Saita, actually. It says, um, ain't ish el Hakadosh Baruch Hu, right? When it says ish, it really refers to Hashem, right? Which I mean, of course, that seems strange. You know, every time we see the word ish, it means Hashem. The simple meaning of ish is that it just means a man, right? Um, so he writes something really interesting that that the Hebrew language is, is like a holy language. So any word um that that we use to describe something physical, it's really just like a borrowed term, meaning the way we normally think about it is that the physical thing that we're that we're describing, that's like ish means an actual physical man, and then we're like kind of using it as like an analogy. Okay, when we do, like as as like a a metaphor when we use it to describe Hashem, right? But he says really it's the other way around. Really, the spiritual reality that's that's what the word really refers to. Like that that's the real meaning of the word, right? Because spiritual reality is 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 the real reality, and everything that we have in our physical world is just like you know, this, this representation of something spiritual. And therefore, when we're using these words to describe something physical, um, that's just like a symbolism, right? Like, that's just sort of like this, this physical manifestation or physical representation or symbol for a, uh, the real spiritual reality. Like our, our reality. We're the metaphor. Yeah, we're the metaphor. Exactly. Like we're the map, but, but the real reality is, 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 is spirituality. So that's like the meaning of the language of Ein Ella, like, right? Like Ein Pegia Ella Sertfila. Like the real meaning of Pegia is Tfila. Like that, that's, that's what it really means. But we just kind of borrow it to mean something in our, in our physical right, to world. Mean like touch or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, um, that, that that comes. It's so relevant. Like it doesn't just apply here. It, it comes up so often. Yeah, it comes up so often, and like it, it really oh, like, kind really of gives more in mind. Yeah, I mean, usually you just you don't really think so much about the way it's written. You just say, okay, it just means like here's one you know metaphorical interpretation of this word, right? But he's saying no, like the language is very specific. It's saying like that this is what the real meaning of this word is, right? And the way we use it in our common language and our common you know you know conversation, that's just sort of like a borrowed term. Um, Wow. Symbolic meaning. Um, anyway, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. yeah, really fascinating. Okay. What a okay, way. We ended up with a bang. 
Yeah. Um, with that, let's go into Perrick Shaney. Um, and we're going, we've been spending a lot of time for the past few days on the Goddard Tale. We're kind of, kind of take a deep dive back into uh, the main topic of this Vesakta. We're going to detail the process of the Isha Saita um, once she's actually in the base Hamikdash and she brings her carbon, right? Um, her carbon mantra that she's required to bring as part of the process. So for those of you missing the halachic analysis and back and forth, it is today is your day. <laughs> it's come back. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the Mishnah. So Haya Mavi Esmanchasa Bitsaikfifa Mitzrus. She the Isha Saita would bring her mincha, her flower offering, in this um Keep this Egyptian basket, kind of this wicker basket, but nice value at that. And then he would actually take this flower offering, right? So we have a flower oil and, and spices and frankincense, and they actually put it on her hands and they made her carry it, Kidaliaga, just to tire her out. But call him Nachas to Glass of Siphon and in contrast to all other menachas, right, all other flower offerings, they started off in a klisharis, in a, in a vessel that um, that was, you know, part of the holy vessels in the base of Mekdash. Um, and it would also end off. It would be offered in a klisharis. Zeus klilas bekfifa mitzris. This, the Isha Saita's um, karpan was brought in this wicker basket. The same of a klisharis. And only at the end was it placed in a klisharis in a vessel from the base of Mekdash. Kolham nakas to unas shaman v'levaina. All the other flower offerings needed oil and Frankincense. Actually, the Isha Saita's offering was just flour. There was no oil and there was no vina. All their flour offerings come from wheat. The Zuba minus the iron, and this one comes from barley. Now, there is one other offering that comes from barley, right? The Minchasa Aimer. Although it also comes from barley, it comes from finely ground wheat. Um, like, meaning, yeah, it comes from finely ground wheat, while the Isha Saita's um, carbon comes from coarse, coarse grains. Leo says that just like her actions were um, actions that resembled that of an animal, right? They're very like impulsive and passionate and, and not, you know, tempered by moral, um, moral compass. So too, her carbon is animal food. Moving on to the Gemara. Tanya. Um, or, uh, oh, just one, one thought, um, you know, I saw one of the commentaries asking, well, at this point, we don't know if she's innocent or not, right? So why are we being here bring this animal food, um, symbolizing that she behaved animalistically if it's possible that she's innocent? So I saw one interpretation that actually mm-hmm. barley sort of has both kind of like both symbolisms, both being animal food, but also in some ways it's, it's more pure than other grains because it grows without, um, I guess, like extra shaft around it or something like that. Um, I don't know so much about the <laughs> exactly. how barley grows. Me how barley grows. Um, I have to look into that. Um, but so the, the idea is that, like, depending on what the prize to the listener who figures out <laughs> exactly. Um, the point is that, like, whatever, like, whatever her, however her status is determined, the barley will take on either either symbolism. Either will be the symbol of, of um, animalistic behavior, or will be the symbol of, of purity um, that she was. Um, ah, that's interesting. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess also technically she did, even though she may not have committed adultery, she certainly was to do something less than ideal, meaning she was right. clearly. So that's the other answer. Right? The other answer is that like either way, there was some sort of, there definitely was suspicious behavior going on, even if it wasn't actually adultery. Um, so that, that also explains it. Right. She's maintaining a relationship with this other man, clearly, and clearly she was secluded with him. So that was, um, right. Okay, but that's, that's, that's cool. That's good to know. Um, okay, so let's move this on. This also to ties this. back into the whole reason why we're doing Scythe during Spheris Eimer, right? The barley, right? Um, yeah. Spheris Eimer being about refining our animalistic tendencies um, and Saita being about the same thing. So, Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, full circle. <laughs> you can check back our first episode if you uh, need a reminder of that. Okay, so um, let's go into the Gemara. So Tanya, Abachan, and Imer. So there's a Brisa um, in which Abachan says, Mishum Arbilazer, the name of Arbilazer, but Kolkach Lama. So why do they do all of these things, right? Why do they take it out of the basket and make her carry her flower offering? Kadeliaga. Right, in order to tie her out, in order so that she should um, reconsider and admit her ways, right? And therefore, she wouldn't, you know, if she was guilty, she would admit and she wouldn't have to die. If, if the terror is so concerned about those who transgress Hashem's will, right? And, um, you know, the, going through all these lengths to make sure and ensure that she doesn't have to die unnecessarily, Right? How much more so those who do Hashem as well, um, the Torah um, has mercy and is looking out for them. Umimai. So the Gemara questions this teaching and says, is that really the reason we tie her out? Is it really to her benefit? We might show the chasa. How do we know it's because the Torah wants to, you know, make, you know, it has mercy on her. Dil, uh, sorry. We might be shum de chasa who. How do we know this is because the Torah is worried about her? Dilma ki hechi delo timchak megillah. Maybe we actually discussed this earlier in, uh, you know, in last parak. Um, we said that maybe they, um, they convince her to, they try to convince her to admit it, not for her benefit, but because we don't want the Megillah to be destroyed. We don't want to have to erase the um, the parchment with the curses written on it in the water with Hashem's name on it. And we don't want to have to do that if we don't have to. So we said, Kasabar Abachanin must have thought, that um, first the woman is given to drink and then only afterwards she brings her Mincha, her carbon. So when at the time she's bringing her carbon, she's already the paper has already been erased. So you know there's nothing to do about that. So therefore, if we're still trying to get her to admit, it must be because Atar cares about her. The Imi right? If 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 we were worried about the Megillah, it's you know it's already done. It's already been erased. Okay, so now we are going to focus on this next part of the Mishnah, which discusses the differences between. The um, way that the Saita, the Saita's uh, mincha is brought, and all other menachas. Um, the key detail that we're going to be focusing on here is the fact that it says that all other menachas are brought in in a klisharis, in a holy vessel, and then are placed in a holy vessel, whereas the Saita's uh, mincha is brought in in a wicker basket and then only then placed in a klisharis. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to quote a Brisa. Um, which then, um, which then is going to um, 
like sh- detail how a regular mincha is brought, and we're going to compare it to our Mishnah. Okay, so we're making we have a con- we have a contradicting um, Tanaitic source. Seder Mishnah Ketzad, right? Menachai Ketzad. How are Menachai generally brought? Adam maybe Mincha Mitech Beisai, but Kalfa Shel Pesabakelzad, So a person um, will bring a flower offering from their house within a basket of gold or of silver, but Naisal Klisharis, and then he places it into a Klisharis, Umikach of a Klisharis, and then sanctifies it in a Klisharis. But Naisal Alas Shvena Velevanasad, and then he puts oil and frankincense on it and he brings it to the kind the kind brings it to the messiah and then the kind offers it on the um southwestern corner can i get who that shall karen uh right just just um opposite the point of the horn and that's enough pushes the frankincense to one side, but and then he takes the three fingers full of the mixture from the portion of the mixture that um, has the most oil, but nitrile cliches, and then he takes puts that into another um, vessel, umakasha cliches, and sanctifies it again in that in that vessel. Umalakinslivanasa and takes all the frankincense and puts it on top of that fistful. Umaleo Matira Bikhisharis and he brings it up and offers it in a Klisharis and he the Umalcha and he salts it, but I saw got by Isham and he puts it on the fire. Karamakaima Sira Nachalin. So the Kayan um burns that three fingers full that he took he takes, but the rest of it, the leftovers are eaten. Uh Varashan Lakahana, Litin Lasaika, Yain, Vishem and Vidbash. And so the Kahanim are able to eat it and they're able to put wine, oil, and honey into it, right? Um, if when you're not allowed to put honey or wine into the portion that's offered on the Messiah, right? But the Kahanim are allowed to put it in when they eat it. Um, but they are not allowed to allow uh, this this dough to rise and to become chametz. They have to eat it as unleavened bread. Okay, so till here, this is where the bride set ends. Um, and the part of the bride set that we're really most concerned with right now is the beginning. So the beginning of the bride set that a person can, will, would bring um, this flower offering from their house and they would bring it in their own dishes, in their own gold or silver basket, right? So... So Katanimia, the Kalsa shall Kesef of the Kalsa shall Zaha. Right? So meaning the Mishnah said, right? And so and our Mishnah, this, this Bryce has said that he brings it in their own, the person brings it in their own baskets of gold and silver. And our Mishnah had said that a regular Minka comes in a Klisharis and a holy vessel from the base of Mekdash and then is ended in a Klisharis. So that's not true. All Menachas are obviously brought from one's personal utensils. Um, Amara Peppa. So our Peppa said, um, Ema Bekilim Haruyan Lakishari. So, okay, what we should say, we should amend the Mishnah. What the Mishnah really means is vessels that are fitting to be a Klisharis. Um, so, meaning gold and silver vessels, even though they aren't actually vessels in the base of Ekdash, it is a material which is fitting to be used for that purpose. Miklal, the Kfifa Mitris, like Asia. Okay, so Gemara says this Rav Papa's teaching implies that a wicker basket, like the one that the 
woman, Isha Saitha bra is not fitting to be used uh, in the Mesa Mikdash. Come on. The Lycaribia Superkinita, right? So that, that notion that a wicker basket can't be used, that is seems to be against the opinion of Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda, the Tanya, the Tanya Bright, the Klesher, the Essential Age, Rabbi Paisal, Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda, Mashir. Right, so we're told in the Bright said that if a vessel in the vase of Mikdash was made from wood, Rabbi says it's possible, but Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda says it's kosher. Right? So from this Bright, it seems that Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda would disagree with Rav Papa. He would say, it can also be, you know, the each of basket is also can be used as a cliche. So the Gemara says, no, a feeling to Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda. Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda would agree, right? That um that a wicker basket can't be used as a vessel in the base of Mikdash. Amar Damar Rabbi Bar Yehuda, Bachashuvin. The Huthin Miyamar, right? Rabbi Yosef Bar Yehuda, when he said that you could make a klishari, the vessel in the base of Mikdash, from wood, he meant that from a nice, respectable wood, but not like a a lower quality, um, like um, lower quality wood, like a woven basket. Lately, Rabbi Yosef Bar Yehuda had kriven Right, and doesn't Rabbi Huda have this this principle which we learn from this pasuk? Um, we learn it from a pasuk in Malachi, right? It's, it says that where the Navi tells you know Jewish people, like make sure that the kabbanis that you bring are respectable. Don't bring a blind animal. Don't bring a lame animal. Don't bring an animal that is ugly. Don't bring the worst animal in your herd, right? So, um, and the Pesach says, like, would you bring such an animal to your governor, to your king, right? And so the Pesach is basically saying that you shouldn't bring anything on the Mizbeach, which is unseemly or un, um, or just unrespectable, right? That you wouldn't bring to a regular king. And so, by for that principle alone, Rabbi Yisrael, Rabbi Huda would agree that if it was a lower quality um, sort of ugly <laughs> uh, material, then it can't be used as a cliche. Okay. So now what the Gemara is going to do is it's going to um, go through that brysa that we quoted about how regular menachas are brought, and that's going to explain that brysa line by line. So we're going to really take a little detour here and just discuss how menachas are brought. In general, the regular halachas of how a carbon menachah is brought. Okay, so the Brytha had said, It says that you need to put this person, bring the carbon menachah, puts it in a klishari, and then sanctifies it in a klishari. So the Mara says, You could, you could, you could have thought that the Bryce is implying because the Bryce says twice you need to put it in a klisharis and sanctify it in a klisharis right there's a redundancy there in the phrase and the wording so because of that redundancy you could have thought klisharis in makaj and elamidas you could only sanctify something in a klisharis if you do it with intention right you have to have kavana that you're doing it for this purpose if it just falls into the kli on its own it doesn't work Aim a nice of a cliches, of a cliches. Um, so so the Gemara says, no, that's actually not, you know, a good assumption. It's not really what the Bryce is teaching us. Really, what the Bryce is, the Bryce is merely saying that um 
you know, he, he just, he's putting it in the, in the cliches in order to sanctify it, right? It's not that you need to um, have cup on it. Okay, moving along. Um, the night that Ashmeda beloved asked, I need to put the oil and its frankincense on it. Right, we have a pasta. How do we know this? <laughs> we have a pasta from Bayekra, right? It says that you need to um, pour oil and place the frankincense, the frankincense on top of the menacha. Says you need to bring it to sorry, you need to bring it to the kind. We have another pasuk that tells us this. It says you need to bring it to the sons of Ar. And a kind needs to bring it to the mitzvah. Again, this this halacha is is sourced in a pasuk. The kind needs to bring it close to the mitzvah. Okay, so now is an interesting part. It says the kaya needs to bring this klisharis to the southwestern corner of the Mitzvah, um, right near the point of the horn, Vidayai, and that's enough. Okay, very interesting. So we know, and how do we know this, that you need to bring it to the southwestern corner? The Pasuk says, this is the laws of a Mincha offering. Um, the sons of Aaron should bring it before Hashem at the front of the Mitzvah. The words of Hashem can mean Mar, the West, because um, West of the Mizbeach was the um, sorry, West of West of the Mizbeach was where the Heichal was, right? And so that was you know before before um, sorry, not the Heichal was where the Kadosh Hashem was, right? And so before Hashem, the Western where it's facing where the Shlina is, so to speak. Um, Common line, our plan is that. But but then the Pasuk says, um, it needs to be on the front of the Mizbeah. So if it's if it says the Panam is then that would lead us to say you need to bring it to the southern side, because that's where the ramp of the Mizbeah is. That's where the front is. Thomas Lamar, Lifnei Hashem. But then it also says, you know, it's Lifnei Hashem. So you can't just bring it to the south. Okay, so, so how do you reconcile both of these requirements? Magisha, Bakaran, Dramas, Malrabis. So in order to fill both of these requirements, you bring it to the southwestern corner near the point of the horn. Rabbi Lazar has a different way of getting to this halakha. So he said, you could think that you could, you have two choices. You could either bring it to the western side or to the southern side. But he says, no. So I said, we have a rule for when this happens. What do we have here? We have two psukim, which are telling us two different things. One Pusik says the south, and one Pusik says the west. One Pusik says before Hashem, one Pusik says the front of the Mizbeah. And he says we have a rule for such situations. Every time you have two Pusikim, and one of them, um, if you fulfill one of them, it will be, can't, it will be, it will negate the other. Whereas if you fulfill the second one, it will um, be able to also fulfill the meaning of the first. Then you, um, 
you fulfill the second one, you fulfill the one, you fulfill the requirement, which is able to fulfill itself and the other one, right? It's a very complicated way of saying is that if you have two requirements um, and one of them can fill both, just fulfill that one, right? Which can allow you to, you can have your cake and eat it too, right? So what does realism mean? Kate's on. So how do you do this? How can you really fulfill both requirements of both putting it before Hashem, which we said means the West, and in front of the Mosaic, which we said means the South? Magisha the Dramashal Karen. You bring it to the South of, you have to bring it to the South side. Vehikamaisa. So how does that fulfill it being before Hashem? She can summer high Tana. Kule Mizbeach, but Safankai. So this Tana believes that the entire Mizbeach um, was on the north of the of the Azara. Okay, so this <laughs> this part really does need a diagram. I suggest anyone who's listening and wants to really picture this, you go to dafachayim.com and it has like dafachayim.com has like a really great I don't know if it's .com or .org, but .fachayim website has a really great diagrams for every daf of the Gemara. So <laughs> they have a really good diagram for this page as well. Um, but I'll try to briefly explain it uh, verbally. So basically, there's a disagreement regarding... It's .org. I just looked it up. <laughs> yep. .org. I just looked it up. Yeah, yeah. .org. So um, basically, there is a machlekes, evidently, about where exactly the Mizbeach is in the Azara. Um, and so Rabbi Lazar believes that the Mizbeach is in the north of the Mizbeach. So if you, if the, if the, if the, if the Mizbeach is in the north of the Mizbeach, if the, sorry, if the Mizbeach is in the north of the Azara, then the southern side of the, the entire southern side of the Mizbeach is opposite the Kadesh HaKadoshim. And therefore the southern side of the Mizbeach can also be called Lifnei Hashem. The other Tanaim disagree with Rabbi Lazar, right? And therefore, his solution doesn't work. And therefore, you need to do the southwestern corner. Okay. Now we're going to say, mind the Daya. Why did the Mishnah say you bring it to the southwestern corner, the Daya, and that's enough? Amar Rabbi Ashi, Rashi said, It's Derech, you need it, because you might say, you need to bring the mincha itself, like you, know, you need to take the mincha, the flower offering, outside of the cleave and bring it close to the mitzvah. Right, come on. So it's teaching us that you could really, you need to just bring it into the, in this vessel. And maybe you can say, indeed, that's true. Maybe we do need to take it out of the cleave. How do we know you could bring it in the vessel itself? On our cross, we have a pasuk. You bring it to the kain, and you and the kain brings it close to the mizbeach. Just like you bring it to the kain when it's inside a vessel, so too it's brought close to the mizbeach in a vessel. All right, moving on in the brisa, the next step of bringing the carbon mincha. Right, and it says that you would they would push all the frankincense to one side. Why would they do that? So that you, when the kayin takes three fingers full of the flower offering, he wouldn't also um, pick up levina at the same time. If the 
when the kahin um, takes that fistful of flour, it needs to be just pure flour. And if there's a stone or a pebble or even a grain of the frankincense in that flour, right, it's possible. It needs to be three full finger breaths of flour. But it says you need to take that three fingers full from the spot in the flour which has the most oil. How do we know that? Um, right? It says the the kaihane should um, take from the um, from the the finely ground flour and its oil. Um, but yeah, for the finely ground So the, sorry, I just got confused about where the was again. Yeah, so the pasuk says misalasa mishmena, and the kayan should take it from the finely ground flour and the oil. Right, so that teaches us. So too, the the handful needs to be taken from the fine flour um, and oil. But I said like the type cliches. He needs to place it inside a cliches. Umikacha be cliches, and he also needs to sanctify it in a cliches. Lumily, wait, why do you also need to? Why do you need to like um, sanctify it in a cliches again? Hakacha kadazema, you already sanctified it one time, right? Just to review, right? We said that the person brings the entire mincha and puts it in a cliches, and then. The kain takes a fistful, takes that fistful, and puts it into a second vessel and sanctifies it a second time in there. Why do you need to sanctify that fistful a second time? Midi dehava adam. So this is something that's similar to the dam, the the blood of an animal carbon that's sprinkled on the mizbeach. Dam afalgab is kadishte sakin bitzavar. It says that the blood of the animal is sanctified once it is uh, slaughtered with a knife on the neck. Um, but then it is sanctified again once the blood is drained into a vessel um, and it needs to be sanctified again in that vessel and only then can the blood be sprinkled on the Messiah so here too um, it's the same right even though the entire menkla is sanctified once that individual fistful needs to be sanctified again, just like even though the entire animal and all the blood in the animal is sanctified once, once you take some of that blood and sprinkle it on the Messiah, it needs to be sanctified again. Okay, so okay, let's pause here for today, um, and tomorrow we'll continue. From Sounds great. The bottom of the stage. Thank you so much for listening.